0: the 70s, the show where we try and find the absolute best albums from the 1970s. I'm your host, Andy. Joining me, as always, he's wild, he's innocent, he's been known to do the E Street Shuffle here and there. Aaron Keck, how are you, Aaron? I
1: am doing good, but I categorically deny ever having done the E Street
0: Shuffle. (laughs) All right, well, uh, you know, I I won't reveal my sources, but I've heard differently.
1: (laughs) The internet lies. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm very excited to be back in the groove here, kicking off a brand new season of the podcast. Uh, you know, and if you've uh, if this is your first episode listening, we did two seasons on the albums of the 1980s, all of which are available in the very same feed here. Uh, but now we're jumping to a decade prior, the 1970s, and uh, I can't think of any way to transition into it better than uh, with the music of the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. And we're going to be listening to his albums from both decades, from the 70s and the 80s we talked pretty extensively about born in the USA both back in season 1 and in our best album of the 80s bracket uh but he's got seven other albums from these decades that are all worth talking about I think uh so I can't think of a better way to kick it off uh but before we do get into the details uh Aaron I want to ask uh, outside of born in the USA what is your kind of overall experience with Bruce
1: not much uh we talked about this before that born in the USA is kind of my one of my, like, introductions to real music. So uh, listening to Born in the USA was something that I remember doing when I was, like, four or five years old right after the album first came out. My mom had it on cassette, and we would listen to it. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, uh, really just the singles. So I I did own Greetings from Asbury Park, uh, which was his – not debut album, but for, for all intents and purposes, debut album. Um, And I had I listened to that once or twice, and beyond that, that's it. So I was really excited about doing this episode because I actually got to listen to Born to Run all the way through for the first <laughs> time. And Darkness on the Edge of Town in Nebraska, which I had been curious about, but you never... I mean, you never really get an opportunity, like you don't walk into a party and they're playing Nebraska on the, on the stereo, <laughs> so I'd never if you're really lucky, gotten a chance yeah. to, if you're lucky, you're right, uh, so I'd never really gotten a chance, so I was, I was excited about that. How about you?
0: Yeah, pretty much the same, I would say, you know, obviously the big singles are big and I heard those, but even some of the, you know, even some of the lesser known singles I hadn't really heard before, and so. That meant I definitely hadn't heard really much of the albums. So I'd always... Another one where, you know, I'd seen the titles of the album, seen the artwork, and but never really dug into them. Even after hearing Born in the USA, I hadn't really... I, I think we always kind of knew we were going to return to him, so I was also kind of holding it off for this. But, right. Uh, but yeah, I, I hadn't really listened to much of any of it before. Uh, so and I the other fun thing...
1: Begin. The other fun thing, we'll talk about the the album covers as we go from album to album, but... I think my—subconsciously, like not, uh, subconsciously I'd kind of put Bruce Springsteen in the same category with Grace Jones as I don't actually know their music as well <laughs> as I should, but I really know the album covers because they're all freaking iconic. And each one is—I mean, they're all taken by different photographers. They just happen to be real photogenic when it comes to album covers.
0: Yeah, definitely. This is This is another set of albums that is like— the you've seen them as posters on the wall as much as you've seen them as records or something right yeah yeah which is true for just about any of these because they all are all are great and i mean bruce is a very photogenic man himself so I mean, it doesn't hurt that he's front and center on 90 percent of these
1: also true yeah as it would be kind of weird for it to be a bruce springsteen album and not to have bruce springsteen on the cover in some way shape or form
0: well, the I mean, the first one you mentioned, Hasbury Park, he's not on the cover of that. But I guess for also for a debut too or so. They they figured that out, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is on the back of the first one. But anyway, we'll get to it. We've got a lot who to talk looks about at the here. back. <laughs> yeah, nobody anymore. Certainly.
1: Nobody, that's who Oh,
0: but uh let's uh, let's dive in here. I also for this uh in preparation, I read his 2016 autobiography Born to Run, uh which was very good, very entertaining. Uh he's obviously you know, it's a book written by somebody who's been telling stories professionally for 50 years. I mean, he does a pretty good job of it. Um, But it, I, I found it very entertaining. I think by the end, you know, there is like a chapter about 80% through about the horses that he has. And I was like, Bruce, now you're just f- filling a page count, I think. like I, I know that, you know, we've gotten through the bulk of the interesting stuff here, but I don't need a chapter on your horses ne- necessarily.
1: And then there's Bill, who's just a stinker. <laughs>
0: But uh, yeah, but otherwise, a really great book. Uh, But uh, enough of that, let's dive into uh, the little history here. Born September 23rd, 1949, exactly 38 years before yours truly. Uh, Bruce Frederick Joseph Springsteen grew up in Freehold, New Jersey with his Italian mother Adele and his Irish-Dutch father, Douglas, or just Dutch as he was called. Joined later by his younger sisters, Virginia and Pamela. Uh, it was a tough childhood. His father was alcoholic. They didn't have a lot of money. And, of course, the Catholic guilt ran deep through the whole family. Uh, and so music inspired him, it was from his fellow New Jerseyan Frank Sinatra to seeing Elvis on Ed Sullivan at age seven, and then the Beatles seven years later. Uh, he knew pretty early on what his calling was. It was then just a matter of proving to himself and everyone around him that he could do it. He took guitar lessons as a kid that didn't really take, but eventually as a teenager played along to songs on the radio with a cheap corner store guitar, and that became the education he needed to start finding his way around the six-string. He started trying to group up with other local teenage musicians, fell in with a group known as the Castiles, who would stick together for a few years, even performing up at the uh, Café Wa over in Greenwich Village, Uh, and that was his band's first gig outside of New York, or outside of New Jersey, I should say, in New York. Uh, the same scene uh, there kind of inspired him even further, marked the first of many trips up there for Bruce to the village, including even just skipping out on his high school graduation to just go hang out in the village. By the late 60s, Castiles had kind of run their course, and Bruce had formed a new group called Steel Mill with future E Street band members Danny Federici, Vinnie Mad Dog Lopez, and Steve Van Zandt. In addition to uh, gaining a following in the Jersey Shore area, they found a second home in Richmond, Virginia, and also made sev- several trips out to California, which were often harrowing nonstop road trips of trading off driving, perhaps most harrowing when Bruce was behind the wheel because he wouldn't even get his driver's license officially until his early 20s. So he literally learned to drive in the middle of the night on these road trips across the country. Uh, Steel Mill's manager, Carl West, Tinker as he was known, would introduce Bruce to Mike Apple, who would eventually sign on as his manager as a solo artist. And Apple got Bruce an audition with John Hammond at Columbia Records in 1972 which got him a contract that uh, would get Bruce to assemble some of his steel mill bandmates, along with a few more musicians, into the yet unnamed backing band for the record as they got to work on their first album. Uh, he knew if he was truly going to be the boss that he had to have his name on the marquee, and that was also more of an excuse for him to call all the shots as he had been uh, taking taking more and more control over as, as time went on. Plan originally was to be a half solo acoustic and half full band effort, Uh, but after the first sessions concluded, Columbia president Clive Davis told him that uh, it lacked a single, which of course every band loves to hear. So Bruce wrote two more tracks for the album, "Spirit in the Night" and the song that I'm about to play, "Blinded by the Light," debut single from 1973's "Greetings from Asbury Park."
2: and bumps his way into his hat. With a boulder on my shoulder, feeling kinda older, I trip the merry-go-round. With this very unpleasing sneezing and wheezing, the calliope crashed to the ground. Turn up the band.
0: This and uh, Spirit mark the debut of Clarence Clemens in the band as well. David Sanchez and Gary Talent also joined the band for this album. Uh, this song didn't even chart for Bruce, but of course, three years later, a cover version by Manfred Mann's Earth Band went to number one. Uh, what do you think of this song, Aaron?
1: I like this song way more than I was expecting to, because again, I like... I I had owned Greetings from Asbury Park. I'd listened to it a couple times. This was way back when I was a kid. I'd forgotten it. So all of this was mm-hmm. basically new to me. I know Blinded by the Light from the Man Mann Man cover version. I know that I don't like that cover version. So I was <laughs> expecting to kick off this album with a song I didn't like. This version's great. This version is fun. Uh, he's definitely i think what's the story behind this the the lyrics is that he just sat down with a rhyming dictionary and went to mm-hmm. town and it does sound like a, a clever little boy sitting down and saying look what i can do with lyrics and rhyming and you know there's there's a little bit of that but it's fun uh and the 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 song is great like i love this song to to kick off the album to kick off his career i'm upset that I only knew the Manfred Mann version because I still to this day don't like that version and I'm I'm glad that this version exists
0: yeah I, I always thought that version was fine uh, but I do think that this one is actually better uh, and it's funny because I, I, I don't know that I knew for sure that Bruce like that this was the original version of the song beforehand because the, the first time I looked at this I did think like oh, okay debut album sure started with a cover and then I'm like, oh, wait, right. no, this is three years earlier. Like, this is the original version. <laughs> What's funny is, like, like I said, they went to number one for Man for Man. Uh, Bruce himself never has had a number one single that he has both written and performed in. So he got, you know, of course, writing credit for writing it for the Man for Man version. There is another song that has gone to number one that he's a performer on. Do you know what that is?
1: Uh, I, I'm going to assume We Are the World.
0: It is. We are the world. Yes, that's the yeah. uh, that's the other number one hit that uh, Bruce Springsteen has. Uh, his highest charting song is "Dancing in the Dark," which peaked at number two. That, so All That's right. the highest it's got as a solo or as, as a performer and writer.
1: Keep at it, Bruce. You'll get there.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe one day. Keep at it. He's still going, so you never know.
1: Yeah, I mean, hey, you never know. So I like I like this album a lot. I, li- I definitely like the first two songs off of it. It kicks off with Blinded by the Light and then Growing Up, and I think both <laughs> of those two songs kind of back-to-back to kick off the album are fantastic. The rest of the album is fine. Um, I'm definitely definitely more of an indication of what's to come from bruce springsteen rather than like full fledged he's jumping out of the gate as this amazing performer right off but it's a good album like even if you take off those first two songs the rest of the album is pretty solid
0: yeah i think it is all pretty good It it is definitely like you can definitely see where he's going right especially knowing where he's going but you know I, I, all the songs are pretty good i don't think there's any song that i don't like on here i agree that it starts really strong um but also, I think even by the end, I mean Spirit of the Night" is another good song. "Hard to Be a Saint in the City" is a good closing song. Like the, yep. I think what what ended up being my favorite, I think, was "Lost in the Flood," which ends what would be side one. I thought that one was a really good song.
1: I think by that point, I was starting to feel a, a decline from that from those first two. Uh, but it's all it's all pretty solid. The one thing I, we're talking about, you can listen to this album and see, and you can hear. With hindsight, what he's going to become, and you can hear the the initial stirrings of Born to Run and Born in the U.S.A. like all of these later albums, uh, just taken on its own though, and imagine like you're just hearing this artist for the first time, and this was the reaction that a lot of critics and listeners had to this album when it came out in 1973. It sounds like Dylan uh his <laughs> lyrics sound like bob dylan's lyrics my only thought listening to blinded by the light was a i like this better than manfred man and b this is what like a rolling stone would sound like if the lyrics to like a rolling stone were like peppy and optimistic like this <laughs> this kind of hopefulness of like springsteen kind of and he, he'll do this throughout his career like he captures the the hopefulness in despair like i have mm-hmm. made poor choices i have like wrecked every plan that i've ever had and now i don't really have anything to to live for but at the same time i've got nothing to lose so we might as well have fun with it right uh yeah and like you get a little hint of that at the very end of like a rolling stone but most of that song is just super cynical and pessimistic and just despair despair and sadness and irony uh and Springsteen mostly dispenses with that at least in this song. It'll he'll bring it all back later in other songs, but I like the juxtaposition there and I like the, the way that Springsteen like plays with that balance between all right, I'm in this shit position in life, like how do I feel about it? And different characters of his feel different ways.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think uh his his two chief influences, you know, that kind of get cited a lot. You mentioned Bob Dylan. Uh, and then van morrison definitely is the other one that comes to mind and i think you can even look at those two singles blinded by the light being him being like, all right let me just crank out kind of a dylan-esque song and then spirit in the night is like all right let me just make a van morrison song and then we'll put that on the album too like those are those two definitely are the most like blatantly influenced ones i think
1: I think it was Lester Bangs, wasn't it, who wrote that when, when he first came out, he got dismissed by critics like Bangs because, well, he sounds like Bob Dylan and Van Morrison had a love child, but we've already got Bob Dylan and Van Morrison, so why do we need this Yutz? And it wasn't mm-hmm. until two years later that they found out why they needed the Yutz.
0: Right, yeah. He does find a way to make it its own. I think even here he makes it his own, but oh, yeah. in a certain certain way where, yeah, if you hear this this is the debut from this guy, you're like, okay, sure, I kind I know what you're doing.
1: So one thing that that jumped out at me from from your kind of intro bio was the fact that a decision was made to present this material as Bruce Springsteen's material as opposed to coming up with a name for the band. Like Bruce Springsteen, I think of all the solo artists that have ever existed in rock and roll, like Bruce Springsteen is one of the most band-focused artists and he's Mm -hmm. the one that's so closely affiliated with the band and the cover of born to run like it's it's him and clarence clemens side by side and like there's so much of springsteen as an artist revolves around the E street band i never really thought about this but it is kind of interesting that they made the decision up top to say this is bruce springsteen as opposed to hey we're the E street band and this is our album born to run
0: yeah, I think there from kind of and what I gather from the book is some of this too. Uh I think for from, from one aspect of it was as far as the record company was concerned signing a, a singer-songwriter was sort of the the trend almost at the time, right? So in 1973 yeah. a lot of people were like this is the artist who's crafting the songs, right? I mean like we mentioned Bob Dylan, Van Morrison and others. But uh, you know, and we'll get into more of them later this season even. But so I think for one aspect of it, from the record company, it was more marketable to say, here's this this guy rather than this this band. Uh, and then from another from a more personal standpoint, even before that, I think having part of his this was from the Castiles and from Steel Mill. Bruce was at he uh, t- a lot of times had to be the adult in the room a lot of times and both in creative and uh, you know, just band logistic decisions. So I think he had had enough of like, all right, if I'm gonna be the one who's leading this band, it's gonna be my name, you know. And so, yeah. and eventually, you know, of course, they establish obviously a name for the band, sort of like Prince and the Revolution, obviously a little bit. Right. But there is, there's still that aspect of this is Bruce. These are Bruce Springsteen songs that are that you're hearing, you know. And that was intentional from him, I think.
1: Yeah. It's definitely I mean, it's it's definitely a correct choice to be as as band focused as he is especially on this album because mm-hmm. there are there are very very distinctly solo Bruce Springsteen songs on this album and there are some very band focused songs and I know they they recorded different versions of of some of the songs right to see which one was best and mm-hmm. like Springsteen being Springsteen was always more uh in favor of of pushing the the songs with the with the entire band and i don't usually say this with a lot of bands or a lot of music like i i often think the less instrumentation the better but in this case at least on this album the songs that i really like are the ones that have the full band instrumentation i think i think there's something about these songs that requires it
0: yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm, you know, hearing that it was going to be half solo acoustic, half band. I'm glad that it is not just half the band because I think those band songs, uh, the thing about the first Spring Springsteen and the East Street Band is the East Street Band is really good. You know, yeah. so he's, even though the lineup changes a little bit here and there, he always has really good musicians with him. And so I think that's, uh, he he makes the right choice to have a lot of band songs on this and going forward. Because, yeah, the instrumentation is all really great. Uh, but this first album was released kind of without much fanfare, selling only about 20,000 copies at the time. And when they played it for his friends back home, one of them told him it sounded good, uh, but where's the guitar? So that <laughs> was a couple months touring for uh, whoever would let them open for him. Bruce got the band right back into the studio for a follow-up that would uh, take advantage of even more of this full band sound. I made several trips to 914 Studios in New York in between their live dates and recorded the tracks for album number two The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle released in the fall of 73 so I'll play a little bit of Kitty's Back and then we'll discuss the album
2: To marry some I'm top cat Ain't the cold truth
0: This is the first one listening to all of these for the first time. This song, when this came on, A, you know, having hear, heard that quote from his friends, like, okay, there's the guitar. And B, yeah. I was like, okay, I think this this kid's on to something here. This song's all right.
1: We were talking about uh, Bruce Springsteen is kind of sounding like Dylan on the first album. And I think he was also sounding like Dylan on the second album. He doesn't really branch out so much until the next one. But thinking about where Bob Dylan was in 1973. Mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen was doing Bob Dylan better than Dylan was at this point, and it's funny that Born to Run comes out in 75, because cause 75 is also the year that Dylan comes back with Blood on the Tracks and, like, reestablishes himself as a really, really great artist, but he hadn't done anything of huge significance for a few years before that, and then you've got these albums, which we think of as being kind of proto Springsteen, but, like, if if we're alive in 1973 and this album is coming out and Bob Dylan is putting out stuff and we listen to the two back-to-back, we're like, all right, well, Bob Dylan's old news. Here's the here's the, the folk troubadour of the future. And he's gone electric already.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think you're right. I mean, Bob Dylan went... He put out so many classics in the 60s that, yeah, by the time 70s roll around, I think he spins his wheels a little bit until... Blood on the Tracks and Desired, like the later seventies, when he starts kind of finding a groove again. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'm, and now, and yeah, and now having said that, I'm going to go look up what albums Bob Dylan actually put out in the early seventies. Going to be like, oh yeah, this one and that one and this other one too. But
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I just slid over to, while you were talking. I just slid over to my CD rack to look at what I had in the seventies, and there is <laughs> I do have like a little gap. I mean, the sixties Bob Dylan was really strong. Uh, you yeah. have uh, New Morning is early seventies, which has some good songs on it. But it's yeah, it's not until Blood on the Tracks and, and Desire in the later part of the seventies that he finds yeah. There's definitely
1: again. a there's definitely a Dylan gap that Springsteen is is filling in at this point. Mm-hmm. I and also really... appreciate the oh sorry go ahead
0: oh no just like I mean then he'd fill it in even more in the eighties because Dylan's not really doing anything of note in the eighties.
1: Oh yeah, uh, I also appreciate the, the the way that the narrative now exists about these early. Springsteen albums, and you mention it with with Asbury Park that oh this this album wasn't super successful; it only sold twenty thousand copies. Like I want to sell twenty thousand copies of the
0: album. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you, you, Bruce even kind of says that in the book. He's a, he said. Gets called a disappointment, but he's like, I don't know, twenty thousand people. Who are these people buying my record?
1: He's <laughs> gonna say like he he might have been thrilled at this point. I know, yeah. you know the the story of of going in to record Born to Run is I'd specifically want to make a record that's gonna be memorable forever. But like, he he couldn't have been too upset about selling twenty thousand copies and going on mm-hmm. tour and having having songs like crack into the top forty, even though they didn't. You know, they might not make the top five or the top ten, or he might not have a number one, but you've got the number thirty-three song in the country. That's that's doing okay.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and he, he even mentions, you know, when he's walking down the street and a car pulls up with his song playing on the radio. That's like, that's one of the best moments of a musician's career, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how oh, many totally. sound. Once you hear your song coming out of the radio, that's like, you're you made it.
1: That's it. Yeah.
0: And I once I,
1: uh, I once played a. a like i've got my i've got my radio show and we've got an hour where we play local music and there was one time when i like just played a played a random song that we had in the library and then the guy just happened to be listening to the radio when it came on and he was still instagramming about it like two days later i'm like oh my god i've made it yeah that's the best it's a good feeling on the on the dj's side too
0: yeah no i'm sure and he Bruce, you know, especially in this early time, I mean, he he would basically try and develop those relationships with DJs too, because to, that was a way to get the music out there, right? If you're if you're friends with the DJ gonna, who's going to play, it, then they're going to be more likely to spin your record a couple times oh, on yeah. the radio, big time. And but this is, I think, this album, especially coming out the same year as Asbury Park, I think it goes a long way to really dig into how great the band is. And I think every song on here is honestly pretty good. I I like this one even more than the debut. Uh, Kitty's Back, I really like. And of course, Rosalita, which becomes a live staple for the group, is an incredible song
1: i like rosalita i don't like rosalita as much as its reputation i think springsteen fans love rosalita it's it's like you said it's the concert staple i think Rosalita's fine my favorite song off of this is incident on 57th street which opens side two mm-hmm. uh and I, I i definitely like side two better than side one Uh, And I'm going to come back and say that again when we get to the river. I think side one is all right. Side two is where it really picks up for me, as opposed to Asbury Park, where you've got the first two songs that just knock me out at the very beginning, and then the rest of the album is is just kind of plateauing from there.
0: Mm -hmm. I think, well, I think the other great thing about this is, I mean, there's only seven songs, so you don't really have time for it to, for there to be a lull. Right. I think these are. It's also a very jammy album. Obviously, there's seven songs, but it still fills up like a 40 minute LP. So they they're long songs, but I think they all earn their length, and they're all very fun. The band sounds great. I think this is one that like it kind of surprised me, like because you know the sophomore slump is such like a stereotype of of a band. You know, like you get you spend your whole life making your first record, and then you just have the time from the first one to the second one to make the second one. But he obviously still had plenty of great ideas to make the second one with.
1: Yeah, I hope he doesn't run out of ideas after that
0: Oh my god, I know How embarrassing would that be We'd have to end the podcast early
1: (laughs) End of the world right there
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, But uh, something tells me I think the next album is going to do okay too Uh, Bruce and the band Take the road again in support of this one Uh, You know, still struggled To find radio play Like I said, he would kind of go face to face And just kind of sell it himself To all the different DJs around the tri-state area Uh, And this It also became uh, a little harder to keep uh, Vinny Mad Dog Lopez on his leash, uh, the drummer for the band, and he was eventually kicked out, replaced by uh, Ernest Boom Carter, which is a friend of Dave Sanchez. Uh, and this lineup would take the stage at Harvard Square opening for Bonnie Raitt and impressed a music critic uh, by the name of John Landau and impressed him enough to, for him to declare, I've seen the future of rock and roll and its name is Bruce Springsteen, which went a long way into the Columbia Marketing Department. It became kind of a calling card for better or worse, as far as Bruce was concerned. But, yeah, you know, a, a good review is a good review. But, uh, after that, the band went back into the studio in May of 74 to start on album number three. Uh, and they got uh, the first track down and uh, released an early mix of the song Born to Run to radio stations to start to gather some anticipation. Uh, but it would be a long time before the actual album would get finished. Uh, b- between technical difficulties at 914 Studios and other band members leaving, Dave Sanchez also left at this point to start his own band and Ernest Carter left then as well, uh, basically making the only song of his E Street career a pretty good one uh, to to be the only one you've ever recorded. But uh, uh, Roy Bitten would then take Dave's place at the keyboards and Max Weinberg would get behind the drum kit and recording sessions would resume and then stretch on all the way through 74 and into 75 uh, with the number one Bruce Springsteen fan John Landau coming in as producer and then eventually becoming Bruce's new manager, replacing Mike Apple. Uh, But by July of 75, the album's finally complete, and in August, Born to Run was released at long last. So let's go ahead and play a little bit of the title track, and then we'll talk about that album. I mean, obviously, uh, it's pretty great. The song, this album, is pretty fantastic. I think uh, it it threatens sometimes to get overly theatrical, but I think he manages to just tow it up to the line uh, and make it not too saccharine, you know, while still being very, very rocking, you know. I think one of the
1: the things that makes this album work as well as it does and born to run in particular as a song but the the whole album is he starts out on blinded by the light by opening up a rhyming dictionary and saying see what i can do with words and he's very precocious and cute with his early lyrics and from this point on forward he is going to be super direct. One of the cool things about Springsteen as a lyricist is he has this ability to just capture something really profound and complex in a sentence or a couplet. And you don't really get that too much in the first couple of albums, but here you absolutely do. And I think both Born to Run and Thunder Road, which is your other standout on this, one of your other standouts on this album, <laughs> uh, are both really, really good at that. And you can, you know, you can produce the hell out of a out of a rock album and you can have all of these great little riffs and tricks and turns in a song. Uh, and he's got those in spades and Born to Run is a is a classic example of that. You've got the that, you know, Phil Spectory, Wall of Sound, you've got Clarence Clemens coming in with that incredible sax solo. Mm -hmm. My favorite moment in Born to Run, which is right at the end when you think uh, when he he comes in with tramps like us, baby, we were born to run, and you think that's going to be like the cymbal crash and they're going to go out, but no, uh, the drums start kicking up again, and we're going to drag out that moment for another couple of beats and measures and just ramp up the like the the, the energy and the potential and then the symbols are going to crash in i think that's an underrated moment uh mm-hmm. and all of those moments are all of those all of those things about the song are super cool but it really to me comes down to the lyrics like this is just such a powerful song lyrically and uh and i mean they they produced a great song but the you know it's impossible to ruin a song like this when you start out with with a song as great as, as he wrote
0: yeah it's an incredible song and and you're right that his, his lyricism gets even stronger and uh you know exactly he doesn't have to crank out the rhyming dictionary he can write something simple but evocative uh, very visual uh, like you these are very evocative songs like i said and like you said this is something that's relatable while also not being overwrought uh, i think he does the perfect job of of crafting these songs in a way that obviously a lot of people relate to because it sells like gangbusters but and you mentioned the sax solo uh, i mean if you're not reaching for your volume knob when that sax solo turns on and it starts <laughs> cranking up like are you even alive I don't, i'm not even sure I, that's it's such a perfect moment in that song but yeah, aside from just that song, like you mentioned Thunder Road is a great opening song. 10th Avenue Freeze Out is a great song. There's not a, there's not a bad song on this one either. I think every single yeah. one is is pretty much perfect.
1: My only my only gripe on Thunder Road is while the album version of that song is very very good for me, it's not the definitive version. I already mentioned like I like I, I tend to like songs more when you strip the instrumentation away and just focus on the Just focus on the music and uh, Melissa Etheridge, when she did her Unplugged concert for MTV back in the 90s, invited Bruce to play with her. He comes out on stage and it's just the two of them with acoustic guitars singing this like so perfect, beautiful version of Thunder Road. And there's no band. There's no drums. There's no nothing. It's just two people with acoustic guitars singing that song. That, to me, is the definitive version of Thunder Road. So every time I listen to the album version, I'm always a little bit disappointed then I have to stop listening, pull up YouTube, and, and listen to what I think the real version is. Hmm. Uh, but but to me, the Born to Run version is
0: a pretty decent cover. <laughs> I'll have to go look up the other one. I don't think I've heard that one before.
1: It's so good. There's There's two versions of it on YouTube, and the one you want is the one where... Uh, Melissa Etheridge tells the story about growing up as a kid and listening to Bruce Springsteen and desperately wanting to like be Bruce Springsteen when she grows up and ultimately to to maybe like her dream come true to be would be to sing with Bruce and then she invites him on stage and they do and it's yeah it's a it's a great moment
0: nice yeah that sounds good but uh, you know even the, the band, though, it must be said, does sound great on this record. I mean, they get I think they get better and better sounding each album. Yeah. But uh, so And this is also then, so on the tour for this one, Steve Van Zandt officially joins the band. Uh, and now this is when they are also officially dubbed the E Street Band, is after this album. Uh, which is a little ironic, because Dave Sanchez, who had just left the band prior to this, was actually the only person who ever lived on E Street. <laughs> but, you know, a good name's a good name, so probably just to the thumb yeah. their nose at him right <laughs> yeah maybe that's what you get for leaving yeah i think right. you can start a solo career i'll show you who's got a solo career <laughs> but of course all this hard work pays off the album's a big success pretty quickly climbs the album charts peaking at number three after about two months uh and they start playing shows around uh all around the country they hit up europe for the first time even and as I mentioned earlier, John Landau would replace Mike Apple as Bruce's manager, and that process would actually drag out over some time in lengthy legal disputes, uh, re- resolving in or resulting in delays recording new material until the summer of 77. And then Bruce becomes a little more introspective in his songwriting. He looks back at his childhood in Freehold, channels some of the antagonism from that, from, uh, from his father especially, into songs that would... He would choose for his next album, Darkness on the Edge of Town, which was released in June of 78. Let's hear a little bit of the opening track, Badlands, and we'll talk about that record. So what do you think about this one, Aaron?
1: Uh the song or the album?
0: Uh, first the song then the album, let's say.
1: The song is great. It's one of my favorites, but I feel every time I listen to it I'm like, "Oh man, this is a great song. He did all of this better already in Born to Run. Like this is a this to me is a lesser version of that." But I mean, if you're going to if you're going to have a lesser version of any song, I might as well be Born to Run. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I kind of feel that way too. I I think this song is fine, but the thing that actually gets to me about this one is the chorus, I think, is finally where I'm like, okay, you used too many words. I think it, it crams too much <laughs> into that chorus where you lose a melody. I think it kind of gets in its own way. And so that one, it's kind of like, uh, it, it's not my favorite song of theirs. I think the music sounds fine, but that chorus gets to me for some reason.
1: Yeah, every so often. The, the flip side of that is, uh, I think... I think of badlands as like a lesser version of born to run further down in the album is racing in the street, which is a a great, great song that Mm -hmm. opens similarly to thunder road. And I, I tend to pair those two songs in my head. Uh, and in that version and in, and in that case, I think racing in the street is actually better than thunder road. Uh, I know that's a minority opinion, but, uh, at at least the, at least the album versions, I think racing in the street is better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're both great.
0: I think on this album in general, I ended up liking the slower, more ballady songs uh, more than the harder rocking ones. Uh, I thought that Something in the Night is one of my favorites from this album. Candy's Room right after that, Racing in the Street. I think those are all, that's a stretch of really good songs. Uh, But I think in general, I found this album got a little too heavy. Like, all the songs individually I really like, but then listening to them all back to back to back, I thought it got a little, uh, it, it wore on me a little bit, I think.
1: Okay. Uh, okay, then in that case, you will disagree with me when I say that The Promised Land is my favorite song on this
0: album? <laughs> I don't, I I'm like Like. Like I said, if you remove any song and just play it without any's around it, I'm like, oh, that's a great song. But I think f- something about this whole run, the, like this, this track listing, I don't know, it, it feels a little too dark, too heavy. Yeah. For something like, you know, because so, uh, I mean, coming off of Born to Run, coming off of E Street Shuffle, those are, there's a lot of fun and exuberance on that that I think I'm missing from this one.
1: Yeah, I did think of you when I was listening to this album because you mentioned Badlands is the opening track. Track two is Adam Raised a Cane, which is a an interesting song about Bruce's relationship with his father. It also has mm-hmm. a real similar feel to cover me, which is track two off of born in the USA and a song that I know you don't like. So uh-huh. I was listening <laughs> to this going, Oh man, this is, this is going to be a step down for Andy.
0: Yeah, it's true. I, I, I think that song is fine. I probably like that better than cover me actually. Cause I think at least yeah. he, I feel like the problem for me with cover me is that he didn't have anything to say, or at least on this one he does, but yeah, And also, I think now that we knew that he was going to give it to Donna Summer, like, I just only want to hear that version. But But yeah, so I think this is, it's a step down from Born to Run, but obviously just about anything is going to be a step down from Born to Run, so this is still pretty good.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's much of a step down from Born to Run. Like, Born to Run is great. Darkness at the Edge of Town is, is, is up there on my... Like we'll we'll talk about our our rankings of our favorite uh, our our rankings of these albums and Darkness at mm-hmm. the Edge of Town is up there for me as well.
0: Yeah, I it's, I think the the funny thing is I think uh I mean all eight of the albums we're gonna hear are are all pretty good and I think and somebody could make an argument probably for just about any of them to be pretty high up, but uh I, I, so I appreciate it at least that each one does have something different going for it and has something different to say. Yeah. I think it just. For better or worse, it didn't connect with me as much as some of the others.
1: Do all these albums have something different to say? I think mean, Springsteen's <laughs> great. He does kind of go back to the same mind a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, variations on a theme, certainly. I, I guess he has something different to say musically, at least for each one, yes, I would say.
1: That that's true, for sure.
0: Perhaps lyrically less so, but, uh, but yeah. I think musically, they're, these are all sonically pretty different albums, I think, which is something uh but this album would be pretty would be well received by critics and sold well not quite as well as Born to Run but that's because that was an explosion of success but that's uh, that's it,
1: fine you know every every artist has to have some failures you know you only make it to number <laughs> 7 or whatever you'll he'll, he'll get there yeah, he will get there
0: exactly uh but his success did kind of catch up to him at this point because uh Bruce had never really bothered to pay any taxes before uh this success hit him and you know when you're scraping by on cash gigs as a bar band that's one thing but now that you have one of the biggest albums on the planet, uh, it, it kind of uh, catches up to you a little bit. So for he would actually be paying heavily to the IRS for the next four years, uh, starting with the uh, Darkness tour. So he was not really making much money from this point forward until he would pay off all that tax debt. But he'd written a lot of songs for Darkness that didn't make the cut, and coupled with some more written afterwards, he's preparing a new album that uh, he was going to dub The Ties That Bind. Were scheduled to come out at the end of 79, but... Pulled the plug at the last minute and decided he needed to expand on it, make something bigger and more cohesive. Uh, So after a few more months of recording, uh, he gets the band together and they end up putting together The River, released in October of 1980. I'll play a little bit of the song, The Ties That Bind, and then we'll discuss the double album. everyone to Andy Here's the 80s, the show where we try and find the absolute best albums of the <laughs> 1980s. Joined as always by my co host Aaron Keck. How are you, Aaron?
1: I'm I'm doing pretty well. I feel like uh I feel like I feel like we've we've been through this uh been down this road before.
0: Well we I think we have too I, I have got to ask you the question on everybody's mind does the river need to be a double album?
1: I don't think the river needs to exist. Uh <laughs> wow i got five songs into this album and i was like i don't like this i don't like this at all uh and and 15 songs later i was still kind of feeling there are several songs on this album that are really solid the river itself is a great song the title track you just played the ties that bind that's a fine song stolen car is really good uh mm-hmm. drive all night would be a great song if he didn't drag it on for like 4 <laughs> minutes after he stopped having anything to say and uh-huh. that's it like you can take all of those songs drop them on other albums i could see the river going on darkness at the edge of town stolen car could go on nebraska uh Maybe drive all night goes on born in the USA and we're good. You know what? Everything else, just kick it forward to the to the the tracks release that he'll do in the '90s with all of these outtakes. I I don't think this album's necessary. I know that this is a minority opinion uh, and that this <laughs> album is is recognized as a classic. I I was done with this album five in.
0: Wow. That, uh, yeah. What's funny is I think. Uh... You know, I was I was probably in the minority opinion on not liking Darkness on the Edge of Town that much, but I'm I'll happily join the majority again because I think I, I really liked the river. I, I thought it was really good. I think what's what's funny is too. It, I almost had the opposite effect where I think I didn't mind this being a double album because I think somehow this is it's greater than the sum of its parts. I think the the highs are probably higher on Darkness, but I I think this is a good collection of songs. It kind of has the the yin and yang that he was kind of probably going for with kind of there's some heavier songs a lot of lighter songs that kind of show the different types of rock and roll that he was interested in making at the time Uh, well i think you know the ones like you mentioned uh are, are all ones i liked uh ties the bind is really good there's a version you mentioned the tracks box set. i got that as well to listen to there's a version of stolen car that has more of the full band in it that i actually like a lot better i think it's it's a great song on here but i think there's a there's a full band version on tracks i think is really good and i but i do fully agree that drive all night is the one song where it is 100 percent too long (laughs) especially because there was multiple times where i was listening to it in the car i would get out wherever, wherever i was going come back in And turn on the car, just (laughs) as Bruce is going, "Ah." Oh my god, (laughs) Bruce, just cut it, it. you were done ten minutes ago.
1: That is, that song as a four-minute song is one of the best songs that he's ever, how long is that song on the album? Is it like nine minutes, isn't it, something like that? It's,
0: It's over eight minutes, I think it's like eight and a half, yeah.
1: Yeah, four and a half minutes, perfect. The last four minutes, totally unnecessary. The one thing about this album that is really, really good, and you mentioned it like the juxtaposition between the kind of the the slow kind of soloy songs and then the the harder rock and big band songs, and we've already talked about like his his characters from song to song, like they're all very much dealing with similar like situations of kind of being marginalized and underrepresented, like not listened to underclass and having to, having to deal with that. And some deal with it in very negative ways and others just throw caution to the wind and decide to have fun. And I like the, the juxtaposition of that, like back and forth in this album. My favorite moment in this album is actually the, the break between stolen car and Ramrod, which comes right after it. Cause stolen car is just very slow and somber and quiet and then that song stops and you immediately kick right into ramrod which is as big and as as rocking as this album gets the funny thing is i'm listening to it as if i'm listening to a cd where you know Mm -hmm. you're going from one right into the other on the original vinyl album or if you had it on cassette like you have to stop the album and flip it over to the next side and that's when Ramrod begins actually the, we right. talked about this before with like the, the the medium that you use to listen to the album affects the way that you hear it and my favorite moment in this album is actually a moment that really didn't exist in the original vinyl or cassette version because you've got that long pause between the one and the other
0: yeah that's true and even I have uh, I got all these on CD I got a little They have a little box set of the first seven Bruce Springsteen albums. And then I bought Tunnel of Love separate after that. But uh, the, so this is on two discs, funnily enough. So you do get a break between The River and Point Blank between side two and side three. But yeah, the obviously sides one and two are together on one disc and sides three and four are together on one disc. So yeah, that the immediate jump from Stolen Car to Ramrod is one that, yeah, you get differently in the CD and digital age than you would on a record or cassette
1: yeah and and as much as i'm i'm like playing up the fact that I didn't think it was a great album uh it's Springsteen there are still like four or five even even for someone like me who is way downer on this album than most people are like there's still what five great songs on this album like that's that just in and of it's like you take those five out and you just package them together as as an e p or or an album like uh like uh like wild and innocent which only has seven songs on it in the first place like you're you're almost all the way to just a great iconic album I mean, it's kind of remove some of the fluff yeah of which and i think there, is... I, I think there's more fluff on this album than most people would but it's it's yeah. there's still a lot of really good stuff here
0: i'll run you down to the uh the track list of what was going to be the ties the bind the single lp uh, which has has some good ones on here. I think there's a couple that are missing. Then it has some that aren't that weren't released at all before that. But it uh, it was, was going to start with the ties That bind still. Right. That uh, goes to a song called Cindy, which was not released until this River box set came out a f- just a few years ago, when they they actually put a disc of what was going to be this LP. Uh, Hungry Heart, which uh, was which did become his kind of first big single actually since. Right. Um, because it actually charted higher than anything on Born to Run, even. The album sold a lot for Born to Run, but the singles actually didn't go that high. So, Hunger Heart was a top five single. Uh, then, Stolen Car comes in, which is good. Be True, which uh, I don't think is on the river. I don't think proper. so either, yeah. Uh, then, then the song, The River, is on here. Uh, you Can Look, But You Better Not Touch. Price You Pay, I Want to Marry You, and Loose Ends, which is another Okay, get line.
1: rid of... Okay. Get Rid yeah. of I Want to Marry You and that's a great album.
0: <laughs> I think that song's okay, I want to marry you. But I, I, I but don't I believe he it wants I don't favorite, believe but...
1: he wants to marry her.
0: <laughs> well, I don't we can get into that later, but is. yeah. <laughs> 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 that's that's uh, set for another album, but uh, yeah, he he gets that. He gets there. But yeah, so I think I still think that is it, it was the right move honestly to go to the double album because I think I, I something about, you know, his his world and his characters. I think it's it's fun to get to have you know to dive deep into this river. You know, no pun intended. But I think having a double album's worth of this material does it well, and I think it it proves the that serves the point that I think he was trying to go for when he pulled the plug on the single LP originally. But uh, like I said, this produced his first top five single with "Hungry Heart," uh, and mentioned uh, that or this would mark also the tour for this. He would return to Europe for the first time since those shows five years ago. Uh, so he's still, you know, profile still growing, of course. But uh, after that, he comes home to New Jersey, grabs himself a four track recorder to start getting some demos ready to show the band some stuff he's been working on. He'd been listening to more kind of country music ever since he was working on Darkness. And so, a couple that influence with the writings of Flannery O'Connor and Howard Zinn that he was reading at the time. And you get uh, kind of the direction the way these demos were going at the time. Uh, he records a bunch in January of 82. And by the spring, he's been working them out with the band. Before realizing that uh, the demos that he has on this cassette in his back pocket are actually exactly how he wants them to sound. So in September of 82, he releases Nebraska, play a little bit of the song State Trooper, and then we'll talk about that album.
2: License, registration, I ain't got none, but I got a clear conscience about the things that I did. Mr. State Trooper, please don't stop.
1: You know, this is a great album.
0: This is definitely a very cool project, I'll say. I I think I like a lot of these songs on here. He shows his songwriting skills very well. But I do miss the band, if I'm being honest.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. uh, I'm I'm glad that this album exists. It's really, really good. Um, Yeah, would you... You're you're missing something if he if he continues to do this in other uh, in other albums as well. I guess there's pretty much I guess there's something like this in every one of or or almost every one of his albums where you've got a song that's a solo or almost a solo. It's very quiet, not a whole lot of instrumentation or, or studio production, and this is just an entire album full of it. But I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, like I I have a tendency to to prefer songs when there's less instrumentation rather than more. Mm-hmm. Unless the instrumentation, like you're doing something really cool and special with it that makes it worth the price of admission. So to to strip all of that away, I appreciate that. I I like this album a lot.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, for a lot of these songs, I think this. he's probably right that this is the way they should sound. I mean, this is that raw stripped down four track sound is very cool, and I think it lends itself to the stories that he's telling in these songs, especially, like, I think State Trooper, which I played, was one of my favorites on here, especially just his yelps at the end, I think, are so fun-sounding, and he's obviously, like, putting his heart into these songs and these characters that he's writing, but, but yeah, for me, as much as I like the songs on here, I'm I'm not going to return to it as much as some of the other ones, I don't think.
1: That's fair. I don't necessarily need to listen to the entire album from start to finish like the the songs themselves are great the album as a whole starts to feel a little bit repetitive because it's the same approach to each one of these songs uh having said that like nebraska is a great song atlantic city is one of my favorites uh i i i feel like i like johnny 99 in spite of itself uh (laughs) i feel like for some reason i don't feel like i should like that song as much as i do but hell with it I do I think that one's a good one I, th- I think that one's a good one too
0: well I think the other nice thing about them being in this kind of demo form is uh, no songs out, you know outstay their welcome you know like he, he doesn't yes. have to he does not making drive all night that's eight minutes long when it needs to be three like all these exactly. songs are here's the rough sketch of what I'm thinking and then I'm not going to expand on it because we'll figure that out in the studio and then go oh you know what never mind we won't figure it out in the studio this is, these are perfect as it is so, which is probably to their benefit a lot of times
1: yeah. We also talked back in the back in the Prince episode when we were when we were going through Prince's uh 80s disc- discography about and I think we did a little bit of this with Grace Jones too where every time they came out with an album they were being very willing to be experimental and try new things and not go back to the same well that they knew was going to bring them success over and over again and how cool that was because it enabled them to to reach heights that they otherwise wouldn't have. And I really appreciate the fact that Bruce Springsteen, at the height of his growing popularity, having recorded the last three albums that he had, Born to Run and Darkness and The River and getting more and more successful with each one— And having there be a clear trajectory in terms of how his music was going and the way that it was being produced was willing in 1982 to say, you know what, screw that. This is the specific album that I want to make. And this is how I want it to sound like that was a huge risk for him to take in 82. And and I think it paid off.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, like you said, his, his stature in the music industry is growing and growing to to put out kind of. Uh, it's you know sort of maybe a move like uh the beatles would do like one of his idols right if like <laughs> when you're the biggest band in the world what if i just stop touring and do whatever i want like that's yep, kind exactly. of what he did <laughs> in with this obviously instead of the beatles kind of went bigger in their production at that point and he's going the opposite direction but same idea i think this is this is the project i'm thinking of here it is that's it i'm not going to even tour for it we're going to move on <laughs> but yeah i think it, it's definitely this
1: album in the dead of night and then walking away <laughs>
0: yeah basically he even wanted to just release it on cassette like not even release a vinyl for it just because he's like look it's this cassette in my back pocket this is what you're going to get at the store but uh he relented to to the record company eventually and said okay fine we'll we'll put it on a record as well but and then of course a cd later but yeah i think it's definitely I, i'm glad it exists because like i said before each one of these albums here has a different sonic profile i think in this becomes part of that whole. It's part of the whole catalog now. This is if you want this sound, then you have you have a great version of it. But I think for me, for me, still, I I miss the East Street Band, which is uh, you know, I but I also have the pra- the past four albums of that to listen to if I want to. So there you go. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like I said, he didn't tour behind this one, but uh, the band did record sporadically from eighty two to eighty four. Uh, you know, as I said, some of these demos got worked up into full band versions that ended up not going. But some of those demos that got worked in full band versions became the songs on Born in the USA, the next album, which we've talked about extensively, like I said, in last seasons. Uh, but I, what I did think was interesting was I pulled up the dates for when each of the songs on Born in the USA was recorded, just so you can see kind of how long of a process it was. Uh, so we've got the first song on there to rec- to be recorded in January of '82 around the same time that he's making these Nebraska demos on his home cassette, is Cover Me. So that's actually the first song, probably because he was working it up for Donna Summer, he had it with the band anyway. Uh, So that's actually the first song that gets recorded. He goes into these electric Nebraska sessions, as they're kind of known afterwards, Uh, puts down in April of 82, born in the USA, downbound train, and working on the highway. Uh, May of 82, he records Glory Days, Darlington County, I'm on Fire, I'm Going Down uh june of 83 now we're jumping the next year my hometown gets recorded october of 83 no surrender and bobby jean and finally february of 84 dancing in the dark is recorded then so you can see this is uh, just like with uh born to run this is a process that gets dragged on and on and on
1: can you imagine having those songs in your pocket like recording them finishing the recording producing them they're in the tank they're ready to go and then just sitting on them for two years to release (laughs) this album
0: yeah i know well it goes to show just how much he was recording at this time and why you know the tracks box that we mentioned too has like a full disc of other stuff from this time period because he's just recording like crazy and i think when you do that much you get that tunnel vision where you don't even know what sounds good anymore Yeah, right. Because like you said, to have all these songs in your back pocket and be like, I don't know, do we have enough for a record? And then you release them and all (laughs) of them become top 10 singles.
1: (laughs) So is it, uh, did I I read correctly that Born in the USA was one of the songs that they, that Bruce recorded the demo for uh, as part of the Nebraska sessions? And if that's true, does that mean there's like a slow acoustic version of Born in the USA that's out there somewhere? Because if so, I've not heard it. I haven't tried to look for it.
0: There is. that. That's actually on the tracks box set, as you can hear okay. the essentially Nebraska version of Born in the USA, which is actually pretty cool. i to have to go
1: and find that. Oh, I'm sure it is
0: yeah it, it's interesting because it does i mean it, it sounds like it fits in perfectly with nebraska it, and the, the chorus I was gonna say like is it,
1: you you record that version of the song there's no uncertainty about ooh, is this super patriotic or is this an indictment like you know exactly right. what song that is yeah
0: exactly nobody's getting confused with the the acoustic nebraska version of born in the usa because even the chorus is kind of more of like a minor key like in the USA. <laughs> like it's, it's a little bit more sinister sounding than the, what the song ends up being. But th- that and Downbound Train were def there were definitely demo versions of. I haven't. I don't know that there's a version of Downbound Train that you can hear that he's released. Those are the ones I know for sure were part of his cassette at some point. The other ones around that time, like I said, Working on the Highway, Glory Days, Darlington County, those were recorded in those same sessions, but I don't know if they existed in that kind of four track demo form for, uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, the the album version of Downtown Train is also a little bit down and dour anyway so I don't know mm-hmm. if there's going to be that much of a difference
0: I know but I, I definitely do I, I want to hear full band versions of every Nebraska song and I want to hear the f- solo demo versions of every Born in the USA song for sure oh for I, sure yeah I, they they clearly could be totally different songs that are doing different things just from that one example I'm like oh my god I want to hear I want to hear the opposite for both of these albums
1: what is the yeah, what is the acoustic Nebraska version of Working on the Highway? Because that is just such a fun peppy song.
0: I know. I have to imagine that it's like also just a depressing dirge that he, somebody told him like, "No, we should pep this up a little bit." But. Working on the Highway. Working on the Highway.
1: <laughs> that's funny. You can, you can't not do it without ending up sounding like Tom Waits.
0: <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. This is uh, probably I'm at a certain point Working
1: on the Highway. <laughs>
0: Days.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I want to hear them all. They've got to be out there somewhere. but I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, Born in the USA is definitely on the tracks box set. That's the only one on there that uh, is in that kind of Nebraska form. But I want somebody to dig them out eventually. Where's the... Someone go into the Bruce archives and find the cassette and release it. But, you know, we've talked a lot about Born in the USA. Anything else you want to add before we kind of move on?
1: Uh... I was re-listening to the album, and I, I mentioned that Bruce is really, really good about just capturing something super complex in in just a line. Uh, Working on the Highway, I think, is one of the, the lesser-respected songs on that album, which is sad because it's one of my favorites. But uh, One Day I Looked Straight At Her and She Looked Straight Back is just a perfect single line to... Capture the beginning of a relationship, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One line, yeah. you got it.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's he gets better. He the, he manages to get more concise, you know, over time, while kind of condensing the impact of those bigger songs into these little snapshots, these little lines, these little quick hits. That that yeah, once you hear them, and sometimes it's even a couple times in you hear him you're like, oh man, damn, he just he got it. He got there. <laughs> he gets you with those little lines like that that sneak up on you. Which, yeah, I think, yep. I mean, B- Born in the USA for, you know, for taking so long to come together, obviously, uh, and, la- you know, during the competition, I obviously kind of had to be its, its antagonist a little bit, but I still think it's a really good album. I just happened to like all the ones it was up against better, but there's nothing, you can't really dispute much of the greatness of a lot of these songs. But yeah, I mean, it, and nobody else is even trying to, because it became one of the best-selling albums uh, that he's ever, it's the best-selling he's ever made. It's, it currently sits as the 25th best-selling album of all time. So it's doing well uh, out there still. But uh, after right. this after this point, uh, Steve Van Zandt would leave the band and pursue other projects uh, filled in by Nils Lofgren coming on guitar. And Bruce also would add a vocalist uh, named Patty Scalfa who would, come up uh, again later. You might recognize the name. Uh, Bruce also started dating actress Julianne Phillips. After six months together, he proposed they got married in May of 85. The ups and downs of this relationship would serve as the backbone for his next album. The personal nature of these songs was got him uh, in the mood to put the E Street band on hiatus for a little bit, uh, where they would stay for actually over a decade after this. He'd spend the first half of 87 recording songs, mostly by himself, with occasional cameos from E Street members. And in October of 87, Bruce's eighth studio album, the last one we're going to talk about here today, Tunnel of Love, was released. I'll play a little bit of the lead single, Brilliant Disguise, and then we'll have our thoughts.
1: until recently how great a song this was i don't know what when it was that i heard this song played where i actually heard it for the first time and fell in love with it but it's a song that i've heard a thousand times before and just like okay yeah that's good but i wasn't really paying attention to it man you pay attention to this song it's fantastic
0: yeah this is one of my favorites on here, and another example of just the those little quick hit lines where he manages to say a lot with a little uh that i mean and this whole especially the second side of this album I think is really good, especially about his his lyrics and stuff like that um but in general you know again it's a, it's a album without most of the easter band on it so I, i'm i'm missing that energy a little bit and i think it's I probably it's one the only one of these 7 i think that sounds dated which cuz it has a little bit too much kind of 80s production value to it
1: i have one note written about this album and it is tunnel of love bullet point
0: very 80s yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> I think that that one certainly is the one that kind of jumps out the most with its like, because it opens up with that drum programming sound and it's like, oof, this is yeah, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of it was exciting for the time, but it just doesn't. But also, even by '87, I think people would start to figure out how to make that sound good still, you know. Yeah, <laughs> obviously nobody. I think
1: uh, yeah, this one's this one's gonna go higher on my list than the river only because of brilliant disguise i think brilliant disguise like this album to me is brilliant disguise and a collection of other mostly forgettable songs but brilliant disguise is so good that it kind of is worth the price of admission to me the entire rest of the album yeah tougher than the Mm -hmm. rest is good
0: tougher than the rest is pretty good i think from from two faces through valentine's day i think it ends strong I think, you know, I think those are all pretty good. They, they are all kind of, you know, like we mentioned, this is him working through his ups and downs of his married life at this point. And I think he, uh, you know, he's obviously very much in in love with Julian Phillips at this point, but he's also the, the life they're leading together, him touring, he's, they're not having agreements all the time. I, I think he manages to paint a picture. I think that you can really see where he's coming from in this without going overly, I don't know, like, He's not. It's not a tell-all memoir all of a sudden on this album, but I think he he conveys a lot of energy and emotion uh, through these songs that, that goes a long way, even if the production kind of gets in the way sometimes. Superficially, also, I think it's another great picture of him on the cover.
1: Also true. <laughs> not as great, I don't think, as uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town, but...
0: But also I like that it's the Still two 47. styles, you know, he's got, yeah, uh, yeah. he's got the suit on, he's got the bolo tie stand in front of the Cadillac versus darkness where it it's looks the so torn 80s. white shirt. Yeah, <laughs> It's uh, a little eighties, but also it is very eighties. This is the, this is him pulling off the eighties and then you listen to it and it doesn't quite pull it off. But I think, uh, yeah, he gets most of the way there. Also, it's funny. You look at the, he's got the jacket on in the front, you got the jacket off on the back. I think when you open it up, I think he starts losing more and more layers the more you flip through the liner notes. But, uh, <laughs> That's how he keeps uh, reading those
1: liner notes. <laughs> exactly.
0: There's one where, well, here, here's kind of, he's getting you back to the darkness moments. He's got like an overalls and a ripped tank top on on in the inside of here. So, anyway. I think this one's not my favorite, but he's obviously still such a great songwriter that it, it's still, you get a lot out of it when you, you get what you give with this one. And if you dig in you know, you'll you'll be rewarded, I think. Yeah. But, of course, by August of 88, Bruce and Julianne would divorce and he'd start his relationship with Patti Scalfa, who would still uh, be with him to this day. They've got married in June of 91. They have three children together, live out in New Jersey happily. Followed up Tunnel of Love with Human Touch and Lucky Town, released simultaneously in 92. Recorded uh, the song Streets of Philadelphia for the movie Philadelphia, which earned him an Oscar. As a matter of fact, he's only an Emmy away from an EGOT. He's got uh, three out of of four. But his 11th album, The Ghost of Tom Joad, was released in 95. Tracks box set that we mentioned is released in 98, which preceded an E Street Reunion tour in 99. Then he released The Rising in 2002, Devils and Dust in 2005. We Shall Overcome, The Seeger Sessions, a collection of folk songs originally popularized by Pete Seeger, released in 2006. Magic in 2007, Working on a Dream in 2009. Wrecking Ball in 2012. High Hopes in 2014, Western Stars in 2019, and most recently, Letter to You in 2020. So he's, he never really slowed down. He kept recording all this all this time. And uh, unfortunately, keyboardist Danny Federici would unfortunately pass away in 2008 of Melanoma. Uh, Charles Giordino would join the band after that to play keys and accordion. And in 2011, the big man himself, Clarence Clemens, died from complications following a brain aneurysm. Uh, but his nephew, Jake Clemens... Has since played sax for the E Street Band uh, since 2012 and is still with the group. So, Bruce was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 99 with the E Street Band. Inducted in 2014, uh, he opened Springsteen on Broadway in 2017, and uh, you know still shows shows no signs of stopping. So, have you caught up? Have you kept like have you listened to anything post what we've talked about here? I I haven't really.
1: Other than the other than the singles, I mean the the rising is kind of the. Mm-hmm. the the big hit from this century and he's got a few songs from the 90s but beyond that no not really
0: you know we b- basically prepared this episode for like four months and i really only just realized yesterday <laughs> that uh the springsteen on broadway is on netflix also but I, so i haven't watched that yet but i i kind of want to
1: did springsteen on broadway start in 2017 Mm-hmm. yeah that's crazy. i I mean, I know we've been through COVID for two years, but I <laughs> right, I would have said twenty nineteen at least. I I would, did not think it was that long ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, between COVID and then now, I've got a child this year. My sense of time is completely nothing. Like I completely don't know what anything. Gone. Yeah, <laughs> I did. It's surprising <laughs> to like. I'm surprised we even recorded an episode earlier this year, which we, we did. <laughs> like, it seems like forever ago we've even done this again. But anyway, enough uh, enough about our dwindling sense of internal clocks uh why don't we dig in to uh first let's what do you think we should do first songs or albums I think songs uh, let's do first, albums first oh <laughs> all right oh did you
1: let's say see. did you say songs first we can do songs yeah.
0: first. <laughs> let's do songs first well, we'll, we'll so this season we're going to do our top five songs and then we will be ranking all of the albums we used to just pick the one but i think we both probably were making our own rankings individually from that anyway so we might as well just list the whole out rankings that we've come up with but let, yeah, let's start with the songs because there's only five of them. Uh, why don't you read off your top five Bruce Springsteen songs first?
1: Okay, before I do this, are we including Born in the USA songs?
0: Yes, Born in the USA is still, still fair game.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, I I have a top 10 here, and even the top 10 is is real, real tough because there are so many great songs. Uh, there's a lot to leave off. So just for... just. For purposes of of spreading the wealth around, I'm only going to include one song off of Born in the USA, but just know that there are others on that album that I also really love. Um, with apologies to Blinded by the Light, which is my honorable mention, uh, number five is a song that we haven't really talked about, I don't think, but Jungle Land off of uh, Born mm-hmm. in the USA, mm-hmm. off of Born to Run, rather.
0: Yeah, um, great song. Yeah.
1: Number four is the Promised Land, off of uh, off of Darkness.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, number three
1: and and we can we can debate what what four and five are my top three are for sure my top three number three is brilliant disguise uh number two is born in the usa and then number one of course is born to run although uh if you take out the album version of thunder road and swap it in (laughs) with the melissa etheridge unplugged version of thunder road that's up there is maybe my favorite song ever so
0: well, good. That's a, that's a good list. I, I also had yeah. trouble paring it down. So some of those are definitely in the top ten for me. But uh, we have, as usual, uh, very little overlap uh, in in the top which five. Is, which is
1: good, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd be, I'd be a little sad if we didn't have if we had a lot of overlap because are just so many great songs here. Let's see if let's see if your top five are anywhere in my top ten.
0: Yeah. So number five for me is is my favorite song from Born in the U.S.A., which is I'm on fire.
1: That's a good
0: one. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Uh, Number four, uh, I go back to darkness, the edge of town. I got something in the night. That one was my favorite from that, and that's one that I go back to a lot. (laughs) That th- one
1: did not quite make my top ten, but it's it's a real close.
0: Number three, I have the song we played from Wild Innocent East Street Truffle, Kitty's back. I love that song. Okay, I think that's the band, you know, that's shown what they've got for really the first time for me, and that's one of, one of my favorite songs. Uh, number two for me is Born to Run. I think that uh, obviously it's it's undeniable is your number one, my number two, but number one for me. Is Rosalita. That one just is my
1: favorite. All right. All right.
2: So Rosie, come
0: I think that that one's just so fun. And I think it's, that's what I like the most is when the band is having a great time and you can tell that's when I'm having the most fun. So that one was my number one.
1: You're a big wild and innocent fan then.
0: I am, which uh, let's bring, let's move, take that energy over to our album rankings. Why don't you count down, rank these eight albums for me. How'd they shake out for you?
1: All right. So number eight, and I know this is going to come as a huge surprise to you is the river. Okay. Uh, Number seven is Tunnel of Love. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those two albums, I think, are are just okay. I can can take them or leave them. The other six albums, I think, are really, really good. Starting at number six with Wild Wild Innocent, Mm -hmm. um, which I know is going to rank higher for you, but it's number six for me. Uh, Number five is Greetings from Asbury Park. Um, Number four is Nebraska. Uh, Number three is Darkness at the Edge of Town. Number two is born to run, and then my number one's got to be born in the USA.
0: Okay, very good. <laughs> we do have one in the same spot uh, of those of those eight. So let's see. So for me, at number eight, I have Tunnel of Love. That was the one okay. that I thought was at the bottom. So that's only and seven for you. So we're, Don't we're pretty with that. yeah we're pretty similar feeling for that. Uh, but for number seven is where I put Nebraska. Not because I think it's okay. bad, but it, I'm put, if I put these in order basically of what I'm going to grab, if I want to listen to one, that's, that's where it's going to fall. That's uh, fair. For number six, I have Darkness at the Edge of Town. Like I said, it right. got to be kind of a drag occasionally to me, but still great songs. Uh, number five, Greetings from Asbury Park. So that's where we share. Uh, that's we the overlap there. for there. Uh, so number four for me is The River. I think that one, okay. like I said, it's greater than the sum of its parts for me. So I think I I liked that one and would go back to it pretty frequently. Three for me is Born in the USA. So you've got, the, you know, the two, those are the two 80s ones I like. Obviously up next are the two 70s ones that are my favorites. So for number two, I have the Wild Innocent and East Street Shuffle and number one is Born to Run.
1: Yeah. That's fair. I think the, the two Born albums are definitely top three uh, Tunnel of Love is definitely the the is one of the lesser albums, and and honestly, like musically, I'll agree with you. Tunnel of Love is not as good as the River. I'm like, I just I just had this reaction against the River just being a double album and overstuffed. <laughs> but Tunnel of Love, I think is the, I think it's the worst of the eight, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: But I think I think the this is a, Bruce is an artist probably where you could ask all of his fans to rank these eight, and that you would get completely different ones from everybody probably there'd be you know the two borns would probably be in most people's top three i would think but i bet the rest are going to be in a different order for everybody
1: also tunnel of love has good stuff on it like let's talk about what a great artist bruce springsteen is that his dead last eighth out of eight album a has brilliant disguise on it which is fantastic and b just Mm -hmm. from start to finish is not a bad album it's just not great
0: yeah, exactly. It's it's only bad in comparison to the seven yes. albums that came before it. Which not yeah. everybody you know, not everybody's lucky enough to put out seven albums that make one of your albums look less good, you know.
1: And even just say like, even the fact that I said it's not great, like I I mean it's I don't think it is great, but it's not even so much that it's not a good album. It's just very dated. It's a very eighties 80s album in a way that just doesn't translate as well to Mm -hmm. listening to it in the 21st century Uh, which I think is also why Brilliant Disguise is such a great song because it doesn't sound like an 80s song like it sounds timeless in a way that the rest of the album doesn't
0: yeah I think he could probably record all of these songs again and release you know tunnel of love 2021 and it would be pretty Ooh. good <laughs> like you, yeah. you you could probably do great arrangements of these now with with a, a more not even more modern just a, a less 80s sounding uh, style that i think would be pretty good anyway i guess that just means i have to go see bruce springsteen live at some point and hope that he plays some there of them. you go so I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure that's how they, <laughs> that's how they sound good
1: it's on netflix it's real easy
0: that's true well yeah I could get a, I know there are a couple songs from that in, in there so but that wraps up our thoughts on the 70s and 80s albums of Bruce Springsteen tune in next time as we dive into the five best or not the five but five of the best selling albums of the 70s uh, just like how we started off our 80s show we gotta dive in see what some of these big albums are from the decade and honestly there's some real surprises I think that we're gonna have a lot to talk about so I can't wait to get there uh, but we also have up on the blog for this episode I'm going track by track on tracks so you can read all about the box set uh, that he released uh, there. You can hear my thoughts on that. And follow us on Twitter at AndyHearsIt, Facebook.com slash AndyHearsIt. Uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band for all of the great music. And, of course, thank you, Aaron, for joining me. Thank you. And as always, it is never too late to discover great music that's near to you. we will see you next time.